getting getting started. All right, there we go. Have some trouble getting started on talking preps this evening. Like to merge your hosts. There's Gary Richmond. There's Sam Griner, the coach. Not starting football today, Sam. Not starting today. I know. Tough times. Union County getting after it, though. Union County getting after it. I got the whole team here. We're getting them in. That's Chris Hughes back from Texas. One piece. A lot of barbecue, Chris. Absolutely. You know it. I got my man Jonathan Grice, and we do actually have uh, presidential candidate Joe Jurgensen. Joe, can you hear us? Yes, I can. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. I'm sorry we don't have you on the video, but we do have the audio. And uh, we got a really big show tonight. We got a presidential candidate. We got Stephen Curry's travel ball director, Sim Frazier, Phenom Hoops, uh, Rick Lewis, to talk about travel ball and epidemic. But first of all, we got to talk to the U.S. presidential candidate, uh, for viewers who are not familiar with the Libertarian Party joke, can you explain what it is and what your vision for the country would be if you were elected president? I would say that the Libertarian Party is on your side and not the side of bureaucrats, special interests, and lobbyists. That we want to make government much smaller and return decisions, uh, decision making back to the people where it belongs. There's no reason why we need to send our money to Washington and have them make the decisions for us. Hi, Joe. This is uh, Dale Ross. Uh, knowing that a lot of our viewers, I should say, don't really appreciate how we're locked into a two-party system. And you're mounting a uh, campaign to become president. And one of the keyest things for a third party to get recognized is to make it into the debates. And just wondering if you could talk just a moment about that and maybe let people understand uh, what you're up against or what any third party uh, candidate is up against uh, getting uh, national recognition. Oh, of course. In fact, I was the VP running mate in 1996 and we tried to get uh, into the debates and we were told, well, the um, presidential commission, they're not going to let you on the debate. And then we find out that the commission consists of half Democrats and half Republicans. So of course they don't want us on the debate because we're the only one offering a true alternative. And in fact, if you look at the numbers right now, it's 15%. You have to be polling at 15% average over a few polls in order to get into the debate. And so if you look, it looks like what they did is they came up with that 15% because it sounds just low enough to be reasonable, but just high enough to get out of reach of pretty much everybody. Everybody except for them, of course. And of course, the only way to get into the polls is to be recognized, or uh, I, I say to be recognized, to actually be on a poll. I've, I've received a number of calls uh, from polls, uh, pollsters, and uh, your name is never mentioned. Uh, it's always Biden and Trump. So every poll that we see, we only see two people. So uh, that's kind of a challenge, too. How do you get on to those polls? Oh, it's frustrating. We actually are getting on the polls. And the first one I was in, I came in at 4%. Uh, Gary Johnson got up to 13.6%, so almost the 15, so we do hope to break that barrier. But yes, what's interesting is for decades, when we would get polled by pollsters, we would answer the phone, you know, hello, and they would ask us, who are you voting for? 
and they'd give us Democrat, Republican, or not sure. And we would say, well, we're voting Libertarian. And their response would be, oh, okay, so you're not sure. And our response would be, no, we are absolutely sure. We're absolutely sure we don't want the Democrats and Republicans up there anymore. But it, it just wasn't registering. It, it, you know, it was almost like one of those who's on first uh, comedic routine <laughs> in trying to explain to them that you know exactly who you want to vote for. It's just not being offered. Oh, well, good evening, Joe. Uh, my name's Chris Hughes, and I have a couple questions here. And, and, and I want to stick with the debates and, and being on the stage for the debates. Uh, do you have a plan, uh, if you're not able to be on stage for the national debates, to at least uh, give your responses to each of the debate questions uh, for the public out there to hear your views on the different uh, different agendas? Oh, that's an excellent question, an excellent point. And yes, I did give a, a reply on the internet to the President's State of the Union speech. So of course, with social media, we'll figure out a way to be heard. And that's what makes it so much better now as opposed to when the Libertarian, first, uh, Libertarian Party first started. And my second question to you, Joe, is speaking of the libertarians libertarians believe everyone should be responsible for their own actions and that the federal government should have very little say in personal actions but since a virus not only impacts others but also the other people around individuals and it can also cross state lines uh what so what would your action be as the president of the united states uh on to address an epidemic or a pandemic of, that we're facing today well, I think the biggest mistake that President Trump did is to not clear the obstacles in the FDA. A lot of people don't realize that there were over 60 different American companies coming up with testing kits, but the FDA only approved two of them. And we kept hearing news stories about how Southeast Asia and these other places around the world were doing a great job of uh, keeping ahead of the virus because they were testing people. Well, yeah, they were testing them with our kits. I mean, of course they paid for them, but the point is, is we as Americans were not allowed to take, uh, we're not allowed to buy those testing kits and we weren't allowed to take advantage of American ingenuity. So he should have gotten rid of those FDA obstacles. And if we knew who was sick and who wasn't, that would give us a good indication of who needs to stay home. And you're absolutely right that it does affect other people, but keep in mind, just because the government allows you to be out there in groups doesn't mean you have to. You, of course, have the option to self-quarantine. So Joe, that, that your last point there, kind of what I tell people when they ask me what is a libertarian, um, I tell them it's uh, have freedom to do whatever you want as long as you don't harm another person, but you got to have responsibility. And what you just spoke there is very true to responsibility. Uh, yeah, you know what? The, the average yeah. American is responsible. In fact, they did a poll maybe six weeks ago, two months ago, and they asked the American population, do you think we're opening up too early? And something like between 60 and 80% of the people said, yes, we think you're opening up too early. So that just shows that Americans will be responsible. And also when you talk about it affecting other people, keep in mind that Dr. Fauci and all these uh, so-called experts kept telling us, well, we can't overwhelm the hospital system. 
Well, then the question is, well, why is our hospital system so sparse? How come we can't handle a pandemic? Well, it's because once again, government got involved. We've got certificate of need laws in which you can't even build a hospital or a clinic or even get an fMRI machine without getting it cleared by the government and having them say, yes, there is a need. So why not let somebody open up a clinic? And if it fails, let them go under just the way normal businesses do. Free market. <laughs> uh, now we've we've seen failures, uh, et cetera, with how things have been handled so far with this uh, pandemic. And the question I have for you is based on what you've seen, what do you think you could do in the future? Uh, should it, or I shouldn't say should, to prepare us so that if something like this happens again? Well, that's one thing I don't blame the government for is not being prepared because this is the worst pandemic we've had in a hundred years. So it's hard to know when the next one is going to come about. So I would just say that by allowing the free market to flourish, that we can better get into action. And in fact, when you look at the shortage of masks that we had, uh, even that pillow guy <laughs> had transformed his manufacturing plants from making pillows to making face masks. So that's what happens. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com when the free market is involved. And I'd like to point out regarding healthcare is we do not have a free market system. And it's very upsetting to hear Liz, um, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders saying, well, the free market doesn't work. So guess we need single payer. Well, we haven't had a free market system since at least World War II. And if you look at the two specialties that are most free market, and that would be um, uh, cosmetic surgery and LASIK because people pay for it th themselves. Those two specialties have had prices go down dramatically over the last 20 years and quality go up. And if we would just unleash the free market in other areas, such as knee surgery, open heart surgery and everything else, then we would see doctors competing for us and doctors getting to practice medicine because the government would be out of the way. Okay, so I'm going to come to you first about uh, something that's really troubled me. Uh, I'm a strong uh, believer in our uh, Constitution and uh, all the uh, rights that we were given uh, by our founders. And one thing that happened recently that really is troubling to me, I view as a, a First Amendment violation, and that was 
that uh, very famous photo op that uh, uh, President Trump took. And in that action, he cleared uh, protesters. And I'm, I'm just curious as to, you know, what your thoughts are on that. And uh, I don't know how, I, I really don't know what to ask you other than what, what are your feelings on that? <laughs> Well, I guess I'm not sure which photo up you're talking about. Where he held the Bible, where he held the Bible up, and he uh, oh. so he, he did the little march to to hold his hold his Bible up to show that he wasn't hiding in the bunker, but he was willing to go out into uh, into public. Yeah, I, I there should be nothing wrong with holding a Bible up. Now, of course, we can't have government government mandated religion but i'm sure that's not what trump is suggesting at all no and no no i'm sorry it, my question was clearing the protesters so that he could get oh. there they they were there uh exercising their first amendment right and they were cleared so my my question is about that part of it oh yeah absolutely and protesting peaceful protesting is an american tradition it's been around for a couple hundred years, and that is how people who don't think their voices are being heard, that's how they get their voices heard. And we have to put that above all else. And I would like to mention something else because so often we hear on the news, they talk about the protesters and then they lump them in with the rioters. And it's hard to tell who's who oftentimes, but from many of the news clips I saw, it sure looked like there were people who were basically just opportunists who are hijacking the peaceful protest and go away. We're just trying to say our piece here. You're making us look bad. And so, uh, it, you know, it's, it's too bad that that had to happen because you're absolutely right. Protesting is fundamental to the American spirit and the American way of doing things. Okay, so I'm going to ask you another uh, amendment question. I'm, I'm a strong believer in the Second Amendment, and I know you are too. Uh, yep. And we've uh, we've had a lot of infringement against the uh, Second Amendment. And I know you have some things you want to do or you would like to see done, like uh, abolishing the ATF that some of my colleagues here may not be aware of. But uh, my question <laughs> is, when you when you get in, uh, what can you do to uh, go against, let's say, uh, let's take the one that's uh, real popular, the, the bump stocks. Uh, is there anything that you can do, such as go to the Supreme Court to try to have these laws that infringe on an amendment uh, reversed? Well, of course. And let me mention, I am a gun owner. And if it were up to me, I would first day in office, get rid of every gun law that's been enacted in the last 100 years and prevent this awful red flag law from gaining traction in which people are basically having their rights taken away, their constitutional rights without even a fair trial. So now a lot of these are executive orders and I would go in and use my uh, executive, you know, my, my authority to go in and get rid of a lot of these executive orders that were put in in the past. And that's one of the problems that Obama had, which is he came in and he said, I have a pen and I have a phone. And then he started 
passing all these executive orders, which really aren't even passing them. He just made them. So then you can go in and undo them. So I would certainly undo anything that any past president has done in the last hundred years to uh, restrict our gun rights. Excellent. One more question, and this is kind of going to go back to the protests. And just in general, how do you feel that the uh, federal government has handled protests? Uh, I know federal, again, you don't want to see federal government getting involved in things that uh, should be left to a state or to an individual, but how has the federal government handled protests that are stretching across the nation and do seem to go state to state? And what would you do should such uh, protests come up under your term? Well, I would take it back even further and suggest that many of the reasons that we have this escalation is because of the federal government, because what they've done is they have militarized our local police departments. Uh, if you think about it, crime occurs at a local level, whether it's what burglary, robbery, assault, whatever, and the local police can handle it. And any decisions about policing need to be made at the local level. So the mayor, the city council, taxpayers, voters, whoever. And what we've had over the recent decades is the federal government handing out free tanks, free grenade launchers, free training, extra money to these police departments. And of course, it's hard for the police departments to turn it down because they're given free stuff. And I'm sure they're sitting there thinking, well, you know, um, I don't want Alabama to get my taxpayer money or Oregon, so I'll, I'll just go ahead and take this free tank. And so now what we have is the local police departments kind of have an us versus them mentality rather than what we see on the side of the cop car to serve and protect. So I don't want to see America at war with other countries, and I certainly don't want to see America at war with its own citizens. And I think the federal government has put us in that position by militarizing the local police departments. Joe, Gary Richmond here. Uh, thanks for coming on tonight. Uh, a lot of times we hear politicians and political shows talk about left-leaning or right-leaning, uh, liberal or conservative. Where would you be on that political spectrum? Well, we would be way up high because we look at left versus right as either way you're getting big government. You're just getting big government in your bedroom instead of in your business. However, libertarians believe in freedom for both of them. So that puts us not anywhere on the right left, but up above on a different plane. And I'd like to point out that we used to say we take the best of both worlds, the best that the Democrats have to offer and the best that the Republicans have to offer. But you really can't even say that anymore because they're really not offering anything. So, for instance, uh, one thing, one issue that's come up has been gay rights. And a lot of people don't realize that even Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were against gay marriage in 2012. That wasn't that long ago, whereas we've been advocating that since 1972, saying it should be between um, a person and his or her church and let them make their own decision and not have the government involved. Okay. Oftentimes you will hear um, competing politicians and their staff say, 
voting for a third party candidate is a wasted vote. Why is why is voting for a third party candidate not a wasted vote? Well, I would just ask what it is you'd like. When I ask people, do you think government is too big or do you think government is too small? They usually laugh when I ask them if they think government is too small. So my reply is why waste your vote and get bigger government? Do you want more taxes? Do you want more spending? If the answer is no, then you're certainly wasting your vote when you vote for those things. And also I'd like to point out that there are something like 40 million libertarian leaning voters out there that if they would just vote how they want to vote, we could win overwhelmingly because people are just getting sick and tired of the people in Washington, the bureaucrats in Washington making decisions for us. Hi, Joe. Jonathan Grice here. Uh, kind of along the same lines of Gary's question, of course, uh, we saw this weekend on Twitter, which now, of course, seems to be our contemporary place for political discourse, unfortunately. Um, but Kanye West announced his, you know, foray or entry into the 2020 presidential campaign. Um, you know, do you think, you know, with, with the addition of, you know, multiple third party uh, candidates that this kind of hurts I guess the, the general challenge that someone like you is making into dismantling this two-party system. So like having these various people being potentially Sorry, wasted votes on the audio cut out. I, I heard third party. Multiple no third problem. Party can can you hear me now? Yep, I can. Thank you. Awesome. No, no problem. I'll repeat my question. So, you know, we talked about this weekend, uh, Kanye West announcing his uh, presidential, 2020 presidential campaign. And just, you know, speaking on, you know, of course, your goal being to, to you know, make an impact and help to dismantle the two-party system. Do you feel that having multiple third-party candidates kind of creates a system where votes are potentially wasted with some of the other candidates? Well, I think the good thing about having Kanye do this is people are going to discover just how hard it is to get on the ballot. And even with his, you know, gazillion dollars, he's going to have a hard time. And also, if you listen to what our government says, our government points to countries around the world and they say, you know, with these obstacles, they do not have free and fair elections. And yet they're doing that right here at home. So I'm hoping that Kanye entering the race will put a spotlight on just how hard it is. And, you know, maybe we can coalesce around that. But I would like to point out as far as multiple third parties, the Libertarian Party is the only third party. Well, in fact, the only party other than the Democrats and Republicans to have been on the ballot in all 50 states in back to back presidential elections. And in fact, it was after we did that three times in a row that they started saying, uh oh, um, they're gaining traction. Let's let's do something. And then they started throwing even worse laws in place. Uh, e even bigger hurdles for us to go over. Hmm. Wow, I wasn't aware of that. Thank you for providing that clarity. And kind of another question actually that leads right into that. Um, you know, traditionally your success as a third party candidate has, you know, and in looking in the past has ultimately done damage to one of the two major you know, Democrat or Republican candidates that are vying for the presidency. So with this election, do you feel that your success and gaining a lot of, you know, a lot of votes, who do you feel like it would hurt more? Would it hurt Trump or would it hurt Joe Biden? Well, while you're correct that sometimes we do draw more votes from one side or the other, overall, we tend to draw votes equally. And most of the people who vote for us either have never voted or have 
voted in, or, or they consider themselves independents. So people are choosing to give us our vote. Uh, they're, they're really not on one side or the other. Hey, Joe, it's uh, Sam Griner. Hey. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I really appreciate you joining us. Um, if you didn't know, I, I'm a football coach, and I was curious about your opinion about opening up sports. Um, do we even need to open up schools right now? And if we do so, what do you think about contact sports and even just uh, non-contact sports being able to po go out there and play? Again, I'm going to leave that up to the coaches, to the teams, to the players, to the owners, and really leave it up to them. And I think that they will make a good decision because keep in mind, they have to be concerned about people suing them, about people becoming unhappy and about setting, sending, setting a message. And that's one thing that we have right now that we've had for quite a while is if you notice a lot of this advertising today, it's about, oh, we're helping the environment and oh, we're good people and we're, you know, we're helping families. And, and that means a lot to people. So I think that I will leave it up to them and that government shouldn't get in the way. I got you. One more sports question for you. Um, most presidents, they play golf. I've heard, <laughs> heard, heard word you play a little bit of hockey. And yeah. I was curious, you know, say you win this election, how often are you going to be playing hockey or, or catching a game, if that matter? Well, probably not as often as uh, Trump and uh, Obama <laughs> played golf because I'm going to be really busy with my eraser getting rid of the, a lot of the laws that they put in place. So, um, yeah, I grew up, I grew up north of Chicago. I grew up on a lake that would freeze in the winter. So, uh, did a lot of ice skating, played some hockey. So I really enjoyed that. It's, it's a great way to get out there and, uh, you know, work up the blood. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. So, uh, Joe, one thing I wanted to, this is Dale again. Uh, we have a, um, a veteran on and, uh, there's a lot of uh, people that would probably like to hear what you have to say about our involvement in foreign uh, wars. Would you uh, like to say something about that? Oh, absolutely. That's one of my top issues. I want to bring the troops home and I want to turn America into one giant Switzerland, armed and neutral. There's no reason for, first of all, for our taxpayers to be supporting the military bill of countries like France and Germany. And also the job of the military is to protect us, to keep us more safe. And unfortunately being in the Middle East has kept us or has made us less safe as we saw with 9-11. So there's no reason for us to continue to be the world's policemen. It only makes things worse. We need to come home. And I'd like to point out that a lot of people don't realize this, but in 2012, when you looked at all of the absentee votes from the soldiers overseas and if you look at their donations they overwhelmingly supported ron paul who was our 1988 uh, presidential nominee and a lot of people were puzzled like well that doesn't make any sense why are the soldiers voting for somebody who wants to bring the troops home well it's because when they get over there they see that we're really not doing as much good as the press is trying to make it seem Okay, Joe, we've got a question from someone who's watching uh, from Samantha, and uh, she's asking, um, uh, 
how do you feel uh, the the mem stance? Uh, so you've got a lot of supporters. What the question is is so you're having to get here by um, uh, social media, and there are a lot of uh, mems uh, going around about you. And how do you feel about that? Do you think it's helping you or hurting you? Well, what I heard is as long as they spell your name right, it's usually good. So I think it's a great way to get the message out there. And it's been pretty overwhelmingly positive. And I would like to point out something that has just amazed us from the beginning is that from the first week, so many of our volunteers are from outside the Libertarian Party, which is not the usual course of action. Usually when you run for office, you've got your core supporters and you kind of work your way out from there but we've had probably over half of our volunteers be from outside the party and i just visited oklahoma last week and the volunteer coordinator the state coordinator said that well over half of the people there have never been in the party and they're just excited to have another choice we've got one more question from one of the viewers uh, this is from lisa what are your thoughts on big pharma and the increasing prices and fixed incomes of the uh, older populations? Yeah, once again, the government has rigged the system. What happens is, and, and, and let me mention, I am a small business owner. I have had a couple of businesses in the past and I'm all for people making a profit because that's basically the scorecard for business. If you do a good job serving your customers and your clients, then you make more money and you stay in business. If you do a lousy job, then you go bankrupt. So I'm all for making money. However, what and and, and I'm and when a company puts money into research and development, of course they need to recoup it and they need some kind of protection. But the system has just gone way too far in that direction. And that what will happen is a company, a drug company will come up with a drug and then they will get the protection as I think they deserve for a while. But then they'll come along and they will change some inert ingredient, change the color, change something that makes absolutely no difference and then continue the patent. And we need to get rid of that. And also I'd like to point out that part of the problem is that we have a third pay third party payer system where people don't get to reap the benefits, don't get to reap the savings of uh, their health care. And in the state of Indiana, they went to a system in which people spent their own health care dollars. And what they discovered is before they put the system in place, something like only 10% of the people bought generic drugs, which you would expect because who cares? It's not your money, it's somebody else's money. So then when people were put in charge of their own healthcare dollars and they got to keep the savings within just like a year or two, 90% of the people, 90% of the state employees were buying generic drugs and they were happy to do so because they got to keep the savings. So we need to get to a free market system in which, you know, every time you buy a car, a computer, or even groceries, if you shop around, you get to keep the savings. So we need to have that in the healthcare system, including drugs. All right, Joe, uh, this is Chris again. And uh, I am, by, by the way, the veteran uh, that, that Dale had mentioned that we had on the panel. Uh, so I certainly appreciate your uh, stances 
uh, through uh, with the veterans and, and the in your in the military in general. Uh, we've got a few other questions come in uh, from some of our viewers. So I want to bring this one here up to you. Uh, Paige says, uh, "Can you briefly highlight how you would uh, move past this congressional blockade and push them to self-regulate with things like term limits?" Well, what I would like to do is I would like to have government so small that term limits don't make a difference. And as president, I think I can lead the country and explain to Congress, look, I was put into office because people want smaller government. We need to start heading in that direction. So I would like to see term limits come about. Uh, the problem is when, yeah, as we saw with the book Animal Farm, which I'm a huge fan of, and and anybody who has any children, if they haven't read Animal Farm yet, they should. If, when people figure out that they can vote themselves power, that's when they do. And that, we're in that situation right now. So the Libertarian Party, and part of the reason why I want to grow the movement is so that we have candidates at state, local, and federal levels where we try to attack the size of government from all ends. Okay. Uh Joe, this is Dale Ross again. I, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, I had requested that you come on. I, I am libertarian, but I don't want to influence anybody's vote. I want people to be uh, intelligent in who they vote for and understand what's available. And I, hopefully you've given uh, our viewers some, uh, some thoughts on where you're at with things. Well, thank you. And I would love for your viewers to come to my website, which is joj2020.com and just take a look and check us out. And I think people will be surprised how more closely they are aligned with the Libertarian Party than with the two older parties who just keep giving us what we don't want. Good point. All right, Michelle, this is Langston again. I just want to say thank you for coming on. Best of luck in the election and uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Oh, my pleasure. It was, a, I had a great time. And yes, please vote for me in November and uh, have a good evening, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, ma'am. Bye. Slim needs to turn his mic on. There he goes. All right. Gotcha. There we go. That's a, US, that's the first U.S. presidential candidate we've had on the show, Dale Ross. Big yeah. time. That's yeah. pretty good. Game. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of break. We're going to talk a little basketball. We're going to take Sam out because he knows absolutely nothing about basketball. <laughs> There's nobody on this panel that can beat me one-on-one, -on -one, straight up. Oh, here we go. Oh, well, we'll come back. I don't know. A little bit, Chris, we'll, we'll bring you back a little bit. Dale, we'll bring you back a little bit. Grice, I don't know what your game looks like, but we'll bring you back a little bit, too. Uh, yeah, you can take me out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so I got my basketball guys. We got uh, Tim Frazier, who's director of 17U Basketball for Team Curry and PSB. That's Stephen Curry's new AU team. Got my man, Rick Lewis. You know he's one of our co-hosts on Talking Press Basketball. We're going to be back soon on Wednesday nights, I think, Rick. You yes, ready sir. for that? Absolutely. We're going to have a little fun. You guys make me work a little bit. But I wanted to have you guys on um, because, Sim, you hosted a tournament in Rock Hill on Saturday. And it became a big – you know, I probably had a little something to do with it, and I apologize. I wasn't trying to stir something up. But somebody called me and told me about something. But you had a tournament. It, it landed on television. And people didn't really kind of get all the facts. Kind of, you know, tell us what happened and, and what's allowed, what's not allowed, and where you're going. Yeah. So, number one, we didn't have a tournament. We uh, put together some scrimmages. So, basically, we invited 24 teams 
um, high school age kids, um, 17, 16, 15s, uh, to come um, down to Rock Hill and play two games during the afternoon, during Thursday afternoon. Um, and basically, you know, we had the we had the team set up to play play your two games just to tune up. You know, guys have been in the house and and um, really tournaments are starting to form formulate, and so guys need to tune up before they get to play um, officially. Um, so what we did is we set up protocols. So um, everybody, every team, every player, um, only got um, one person, one guest per. Um, per roster spot. So you send a roster in, John Doe, Jane Doe, um, who, who their guests are. So they got one guest per person to try to limit crowds. Um, at check-in, if you weren't on the list, you weren't getting in. So we turned away a number of people, even coaches that were um, on our staffs uh, that were just wanting to check it out. Uh, we really wanted to keep the numbers down. Um, additionally, we did temperature checks. Before you got into the facility, you had to get your temperature check going in. Um, once in the facility, it's a 10 court facility, um, 7,200 7, square feet. We use six of those courts instead of the 10 to space out and give people room. Um, so you had about 30 people at a court maximum um, watching a game. And then at that game, um, we had sanitizers, we had um, cleaning solutions and things like that. And additionally, I built in 30 minutes in between games so that we can clean. Um, so after the game, normally in a travel ball AAU setting, you know, we're running back to back. You might get five minutes warm up. But I wanted to give plenty of time for us to clean up and give people the opportunity to, to leave the facility, kind of clear out um, space. So that was what we did on uh, Thursday. Um, yeah. you know. So it's a little bit misrepresented. It was. It was. I, I think the. The initial photo of the check-in area could have been a little bit um, better organized. It was a first go-round, so um, you know I instructed folks to get there no earlier than 20 minutes because we don't want people standing around. So 20 minutes before your game, you can come. Um, I had texts from people wanting to be there an hour and a half before. So when we walked into the facility, it was just like it was madness, and we're trying to move it as quickly as possible. But we we wanted to be sticklers about making sure folks were on that list and make sure temperature checks were getting done. So. Now, a, a lot of people really want to play basketball right now. How do you kind of handle that with the pandemic? Is it just a choice thing where parents are going to say, I want my kid to play, I don't want my kid to play? And I want to ask to both of you, but Rick, you can start and then Sam will come to you. What do you guys think? Because there seems to be an appetite for this, even though the high schools really aren't going nearly as gung-ho as you guys want to. Coach, we'll should take that. Well, I think there's a, an opportunity for kids to play. And I think it's very important to do it in a safe environment. Um, and to dovetail on what Sam had said, um, I was in attendance to that event. And um, when I came into the building, I did have my name on the um, registration list and they also did a temperature test. And from my viewpoint, um, I thought it was a well-run organization as far as the meeting was concerned, as the, the games were on time, they took the time to sanitize the benches in between the games. Um, when I read the article, it, it to me it was an over exaggeration of what actually happened on Thursday. Uh, so, so, so Langston, your question is you know is about um, you know getting back to playing. It is a choice thing. Uh, we wanted to give people the option. Um, with anything. So, you know, obviously sports is th are therapeutic to a lot of people and we've dealing with, 
you know, we're hearing from kids saying, hey, my son's dealing with depression now because he hasn't been able to get out of the house. You know, what, what are the plans? Um, so from an organization standpoint, uh, we came up with a, kind of like a four-step return to place uh, kind of setup, kind of similar to what the governor put out, is uh, we wanted to do it in steps. Um, so first steps, we did some virtual trainings. We did, you know, Zoom Zoom workouts. Guys can work out in their living room or their garage. Um, we had somebody leading it. We had, you know, multiple, we're doing it on social media and different things like that. And then we're moving into, um, and then we got into the gyms and we're doing like small group workouts, right? So you're doing maybe four players at a time, six players at a time. Um, everybody's got their own balls. Our, our, um, our coaches are in masks, sanitize, all that kind of stuff. But get, gets guys in the gyms, get guys active. Um, and then we're, we're in this kind of this, the next stage would be team practices. So, you know, just your team of 10 and coaches, there are no parents involved. Um, parents are to stay outside, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, moving forward to the next step or the final step would be scrimmages and, and ultimately games. Um, we're in a unique spot being in Charlotte that we're kind of like, you know, this bordering situation where South Carolina is open. Um, they're running things. We're seeing, you know, um, tournaments pop up and different things. So it's kind of like people are like, well, South Carolina is doing stuff. I'd, I'd like my kid to go down to South Carolina. And, and from, and Langston, you know this from your own experience with your sons, is recruiting is still going on right now. So for us, you know, we're talking to college coaches and they're like, you know, if you play on something that's going to be streamed, if you stream a practice, we're going to offer scholarships to kids. And we're, we're seeing that probably within the last two weeks of playing different things. Um, I've had five or six kids receive Division One offers, and that's just coaches are like, I have nothing else to do. <laughs> I'm going to grab uh, some chips and dip and, and a beer and watch games on Saturday um, on my on live stream. So um, it's just about that choice and providing an opportunity. So. Rick, you have some trouble for uh, Rock Hill, I understand. What are the rules in South Carolina uh, as opposed to North Carolina in – what type of precautions will you take when you hold your tournament? Well, currently in South Carolina, you can have youth sports and indoor, and we're going to make sure that we uh, abide by all the guidelines and protocols set forth by the state. But let me just sort of tell you what we're going to be doing to run a safe event as possible. Number one, every person that enters the facility, whether they're a player, a coach, or official, anyone, staff member, it doesn't matter. They have to fill out a questionnaire and they have to fill out a waiver. That's the first thing they do. Number two, we're going to have a temperature test on everybody entering the facility. Upon entering, we're going to give everybody hand sanitizer as they come into the facility as well. Uh, we are going to have a mass uh, mandatory, uh, which is now um, – also done by the state of South Carolina. You, they, they do have a mandatory mask. So everyone that comes into the facility will have to wear a mask. The only exception is when the players are playing, um, they can take their mask off during warm-ups and then during the game, and the officials will do the same. After the game is over, the players have to put their mask back on and leave the facility. Um, so we're going to be very strict as far as that is concerned. Um we're not going to allow any outside basketballs coming in. We're going to supply the own basketball. So what we're going to do is make sure each team has two basketballs to warm up with. Again, we're going to sanitize the balls before each and every game. We're also going to have the players before every game, we're going to 
hand sanitize them again. So we're going to make sure that the balls are clean and everybody, as far as the players are concerned, their hands are also sanitized as well. Um, so that's the things that we're going to do as far as some of the precautions. Now I've spoken to the head of the officials, um, all the officials wear, will wear latex gloves. And for our part, all our staff members, whether it's myself or anyone else, we will be wearing latex gloves as well. So we're doing everything that we can to make sure it's a safe event. Um, I know there's some anxiety with a lot of people, but like Sam said, there's a lot of kids that want to play. And if you go out to any playground or any neighborhood, kids are playing. And I think there's a way to host an event in a safe environment. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it's up to the parent and the player to know that there's a risk involved in anything. Uh, again, there's a risk going to the restaurant and sitting down, you can pick up COVID there. Um, so we know the risks that they're involved with hosting an event. We think that if we do it in a safe way, uh, I think it could be a, you know, a successful event for the kids. And like Sam said, we're going to live stream these and a lot of these kids will get scholarship offers and interest from the games being live streamed. Okay, this next question is for both of you, uh, Rick, you first. Um, if the public schools decide not to play um, this coming season, um, what impact do you think that will have on the private schools and travel club basketball? Well, I think it's going to really enhance private schools and club ball. Um, you know, private schools are in a different um, situation. They're in a dilemma. They basically have to go to school um, to be, to stay in business. Um, so I think in that situation, you're going to see private schools probably have classes. And I think you're going to have private schools and I, you know, I haven't spoke to anyone, but my gut feeling is they will have high school sports at the private school sector. Now it will change. Um, you may not have the fans that you used to have. You may have games and they're going to have the same protocol and also the guidelines to make sure it's as safe as possible. And they will probably limit the number of people coming in to maybe just the immediate family members. Um, and the other thing too, I, I do think that kids are going to want to play and I do think you're going to see club teams pop up and it will be more of like a, of a European model um, that you see over in Europe where you have club teams playing and participating. Um, but again, it's going to be a situation where, you know, we're going to have to take a lot of guidelines and protocol to make sure it's as safe as possible. Sam? Yeah. Um, similar to what Rick was saying, I think, you know, some of the private schools that, that kind of govern themselves, they'll kind of do what's best for them. I think from a club perspective, uh, number one is, is, is gym availability, right? So, you know, we're dealing with CMS and we can't get in CMS gyms and we use use um, the public school gyms a lot. Um, so number one is going to be looking at gym inventory. Where can we actually use facilities to do these club activities? Um, and then secondly, I think there there will be a space, um, you know, say, say there's no school in September or October. Um, but Rick puts together a tournament and we can say, hey, kids, if you want to come and play, you can play. Um, I think there's going to be a space for travel teams to kind of get creative. I think everybody has to be creative in this scenario. But um, I think there are enough people that 
want to try to see these things go that won't, you know, sit on their hands and wait till, um, you know, public schools decide. So. It kind of leads me into the question um, that the private schools have to play. And if the public schools are not playing, do you see this as an opportunity for the, the private schools to recruit public school players? And can they use that as a way of telling kids, this is how you're going to get your exposure for the colleges, especially if they're a rising senior? Rick, you can take that one. That's a very tough question. Uh, I don't I don't think the private schools are going to go out and, you know, actually recruit. Now, will the private schools get more interest in applications? Probably so. Sam, what do you think? Um, being a former private school coach myself, um, I can see I can see uh, certain private schools doing the recruiting thing. You, it goes on now. Right. So you. You might have a kid at a small school of maybe Cleveland County or Gaston County not getting as much um, exposure. And, you know, you might have a bigger school within within Charlotte that says, hey, come here. We play a bigger schedule, better teams, all that kind of stuff. So you'll see some of those people, the same type of approaches. Your school's not playing. You guys aren't doing anything. Why waste a year? Come over, come over here and play with us. So I think that will kind of become uh, – Kind of free market. Last question, fellas. How much is going to hurt kids? How much is going to hurt kids to not have live periods this year if if that ends up what what happens? Especially a rising senior, he's not going to get a chance to play live from the college coaches during the summer. How much is that going to hurt? I think everybody's a joke. Go ahead, Sam. Oh, I think everybody. I think it's it's tough. Like today, I talked to four college coaches. And everybody, um, it's tough from film. So I got, how tall is the kid really? Usually I'm used to sitting on the sideline, seeing, sizing them up. I'm looking at a film. Is he 6'6"? Is he 6'8"? He's listed, you know, I can't, we like to see, put our eyes on him. So you got that element to it. Um, so, you know, a lot of coaches are old school. They want to see a kid. So that's going to, that's impacting some recruitment. But you're seeing some that are adjusting on the fly and just saying, you know what? We got to take what we see on this film and try to end this live stream and just go with it because we have to prepare for what this future holds. So um, it is negatively impacted, impacting a ton of kids, um, but I think there's a lot of programs that are just adjusting, trying to figure it out. Yeah. Rick, what do you think? Well, I sort of wear a little different hat. For me, um, we have an NCAA compliance scouting service. So we have been putting out our scouting um service to college coaches. We have over 150 schools that subscribe to a service. We have high majors, mid majors, low majors, D2s, D3s. Um, so what we have been doing is the first thing that we did is we sent out a list to the college coaches, a very comprehensive list. It was a bio on every single player in the North Carolina 21 um, class. And it was one through 100. Um, and then we went through and we did the um, North Carolina 2022 class and we went one through 50. And then um, we're working on the South Carolina as well. But in between that, um, I've been out going out to Sims event, uh, which he had this last Thursday. I went out to Upper Stars. And last week I went down to Columbia to look at the um, Savage um, Academy. It was an open run. So what we're trying to do is go out and see as many kids, whether it's an open gym. I went out to 
Um, last um, Saturday, I went out to Carmel to look at their open gym. They had a little workouts, um, just, you know, basically skill development. So we're going out and seeing as many players as possible. Um, also, you may have noticed tonight that um, I sent out a tweet that, you know, basically said that this is our ranking or watch list. If we missed out on anybody, please email me, send me the video through Huddle. Because what's happening right now with us having a scouting service, the scouting service is relying on people like myself. Um, myself becomes the eyes and ears to a lot of the recruits out there. So that's the one of the reasons why we were going to host the events coming up in late July, going through August, September, and October. It will give us an opportunity to see a lot of kids and also have the opportunity to either A, live stream the event or do our own highlight videos so we can produce those and make it available to college coaches. Well, I really hope we get some uh, basketball of some sort. I'm cool with his club. I'm cool with his high school. I just want some basketball. So, guys, thanks for coming on the show. Sim, I apologize to you, man. That wasn't the intent this past weekend. You guys, man. And, Coach Lewis, we're going to definitely get you on one of these Wednesdays when we launch. We're going to have a bunch of fun. we got some, some really great guests lined up. We're going to let you do your thing. But appreciate it, fellas. Thank you. Thanks a bunch. All right. All right take care. All right. Now, I got uh, – I don't even know how to tell y'all what we're about to do right now because I, you guys can't see me. We can, we had like a little private chat in the back room, and these guys are going crazy in the back room. My man Scott Chadwick from Myers Park. I got my man Joe Evans from South May. We're going to bring in our normal crew, Sam Weiner, Bill Ross, Chris Hughes, James Harden. What's up, James? What's up, man? Yeah, that no, probably – over there, left corner. Left corner. Um, I Chris, I want you to tell me, uh, CMS didn't start today. Union County started today. Q Tucker tells me 20% of teams in the state ha are, have play are playing. That means 80% are not. What do you take from that? What does that mean right now, Chris? Uh, it means that I don't think I'm, – I'm, I'm worried that we're not going to play. I, I did bring the basketball out, though. Before I answer that question, this was the challenge. Uh, you guys couldn't see the private chat we had going on. <laughs> hey, Coach Griner, it's on. <laughs> hey, you might have more skill than me, but I got more toughness. <laughs> but anyway, no, uh, what that tells me, guys, is that, you know, I am I am very concerned uh, when, when, you know, I've seen some uh, school systems pushed back there um, – their workouts today. Uh, I saw some coaches have to put out some last minute regretful tweets and guys, I'm sorry, but uh, you know, we were planning on coming today, but now we're not. And, and it just clouded, you know, like Q Tucker said that the whole um, crystal ball was cloudy. And I think it makes it even more cloudy for me because I'm so scared of what I, I, I kind of feel. I'm kind of using that gut instinct. Uh, the more and more you see uh, workouts pushed back and the, the more and more we hear that, you know, the start of school could be put back. Uh, and a lot of this is dependent upon what Governor Cooper uh, comes out with. But it just makes me more and more fearful of us getting to have a fall start of football or any sports for that matter. So it just concerns me. Well, I got my man, Coach Olivet, Lake Norman High School. You've been practicing since June the 15th. Oh, what have you learned since then? How big of an advantage do you have on Coach Grice and Coach Griner and Coach Chadwick and Coach Evans because you've been gone for so long? Uh, I don't know if it's an advantage. Um, you know, we've just been happy to see our guys, um, you know, just like all these coaches. You know, we haven't seen our kids since March. Um, 
you know, we're just excited to be out there and to be able to be around them and, and love on them as much as we, you know, can with going through the guidelines. But, um, you know, we're just excited to be out there. My legs, right, no. hold on, legs. Let me get in there. Like, is Coach Owen and do some great oh, stuff out there. I'm not You know what? I'll get out and let y'all just go. Go, go. I'm just saying, you know, you give Coach Owen those guys up there three extra, was it three weeks now? I mean, you know, they've been doing some great things up there at Lake Norman. But, no, even when I've been on here, I think that's been one of the things I've looked at. I know, you know, Coach Fitzgerald, the offensive coordinator there. And, you know, I'm excited to see – you know, those guys going in these top, you know, these tough times are really, you know, showing the right way to do this. I know they've been posting pictures of social distancing and I, you know, I bring that to the guys and they always ignore me because they want football in the spring. But, you know, Coach, I definitely would love to hear you talk, you know, about how you've been able to do a lot of this stuff the right way. And it's, it's been, you know, great examples that you guys have shown and say, hey, this is a bad time. It's terrible. It's tough. But you guys are, you know, almost a month in and it's continue to do this right Okay. Way. Okay. I, I want to hear Coach Alvin talk about how he's doing it. But I want to hear from a man, Joe Evans, who was chopping at the video today, who couldn't go. And then I want to hear from Coach Chadwick, who always pulls no punches, ain't afraid to get in trouble to give us the real scoop. Hold on. Let me find my one shot. I'm going to get Joe in one shot, and then we're going to come to Coach Chadwick. Go ahead, Joe. Tell me what's on your mind. Uh, well, you know, I mean, obviously, we were all prepared to go, ready to go today, and did our sanitizing training and, you know, I had all my coaches prepared and I met with them and had them all set up and like, Hey, here's how the kids are going to, here's how the kids are going to come in. Here's how they're going to transition between groups, between pods. I'd send out all the pod, you know, list all my parents and, um, you know, get an email says, Hey, your, uh, your workouts are postponed indefinitely with no, no date, you know, set. And, you know, it, it's frustrating. Um, to have to wait, you understand, you know, why decisions have to be made and, and all that. And it's like you get an email on a Thursday and it's send an email out to all your parents who have probably postponed vacations and, you know, done done things to move schedules around and do all this to be at workouts and been very flexible and had a bunch of information thrown at them they haven't seen before. Um, you know, and we were ready to go. I mean, we were set. We had a great plan. We had me and Coach Harmon and Coach Whitson over at Myers Park actually met and sat down and worked out what our first uh, eight days of workouts, our first two weeks of workouts were going to look like. And we had a great plan. Um, and, you know, just sometimes it, it, it it's, a, it's like a lesson plan in school. You, it, it's got, it goes a different way sometimes. Coach Chadwick. Well, I think for me. <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Time out, time out. Be careful, Coach Chadwick. <laughs> Be careful. Like I tell Be careful. Don't pull, it. Don't pull a Grice. Yeah, I don't know why you got you guys put me on here to be the one to try to get in trouble. But you know, no, my, my thing is that I, I guess my biggest issue came with I guess kind of the statement that was put out that you know they were trying to to make sure that kids were in a healthy environment and they were concerned about that. And my issue with that is is that for two weeks now, CMS has provided us with the equipment provided us with training. We put procedures in place. And like Joe said, as coaches, we've met multiple times. I'm telling you that our kids would have been safer at school with us today than any place they they were. Wherever they were, they weren't as safe as they would have been at school. So, I mean, that was, you know, my biggest thing is that I felt like, and, and I'll say, you know, Sue Duran, I felt like her staff and, and our facilities people had worked really hard over the last couple of weeks to train us and provide us with the things that we needed 
And and like I said, then it felt like all of a sudden on Thursday afternoon somebody somebody canceled Christmas songs. <laughs> no doubt. All right, Sam Griner. Yeah. So uh, let's go my friend. Yeah, I got a lot to say for a second. Yeah, and you got and you shocker. Shocker. You got people on here that are really, you got people on here that are really proud of you. Oh yeah. You got a whole town that's proud of you. Catawba, baby. That's it. So tell us how you feel. Make sure you have a job on Monday, but tell us how you feel. I feel not so good because you know I didn't think we were gonna practice. I know they had their hopes up, but I kind of saw the hidden lining, what's happening going forward, and I didn't think we were gonna practice, so I was kind of prepared for that, so I didn't take it as hard because I saw it going that way. I think that they were hiding behind the governor. I think they were waiting on the governor to shut it down. And when he didn't do anything, he postponed his announcement. I think they put them in a panic and they had to do what they did. But uh, let's just go back to the real question. Uh, Chris, Chris has disrespected me pretty much with the basketball. I'm just going to say something right now. Like, hey, football, basketball, trampoline, it don't matter. I'm, I'm a daggone legend. I'm not gonna. I'm not going down. Your listen, mind. I've learned. I've learned <laughs> listen, listen, Chris. I, I've learned all about waivers and all this stuff through CMS. I got a waiver for you. You sign it. I'll play you one on one. We can put it on live. Whatever we need to do. We're about to get <laughs> I will definitely come. We'll put that on, on talking preps live. Gary has a question. Gary has a question. Coach Oliver, uh, you guys have been at it for a couple of weeks now. How much time does it take to go through all the, the protocols that you have to go through before you actually start your workouts? How long does that take with each practice? Um, so what we've done is we've started bringing in kids, our first two groups at uh, 745, and we don't start that group until about 8 o'clock, and we're only going for about 45 minutes with these guys. Um, you know, the state had given us the 90 minutes, but um, we just we haven't been using that, um, you know, just to get these kids in and out as safely as possible and not to have our coaches at the school for eight hours a day. Um, you know, but it takes a good 15, 20 minutes to get these kids checked in and, and temperatures taken and then get the COVID questions and everything done, um, you know, to try to be as safe as possible and not to mix groups. And, um, you know, but we, we've been fortunate and that our athletic director, Jay Keener, had everything that we needed to start on June 15th. And, um, you know, we had a good plan, we felt, as coaches. And and I just feel fortunate that we were able to do the things we've been able to do the last three weeks. I just want to say something. Can I say something? I, <laughs> I just love having Coach O on the show because we got a real – talker, a real defensive guy. He's got a different perspective than a lot of these other characters on the panel today. Uh, it's just great to have you on Let me ask you a question, Coach Alvin. If you run 65 plays on offense in the football game, how many running plays will Sam run in those 65 plays? About as many as I like to. Is that? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my told me, you know, you throw the football – only three things can happen and two are bad. So the, the numbers say run the rock. Now I got a guy up on top of his do 50 touchdowns last year. Coach Chadwick, you gonna hear that? It's all about personnel. I mean, y'all not gonna believe this, but this is no no lie. You can look it up. I made it to a state championship game in 2003 
I had five games that season. I didn't complete a pass. Wow. But I had, a, I, had, say, I had a tailback that rushed for 2,500, another one that rushed for 1,000, and three offensive linemen that were Division One guys. And our quarterback couldn't throw it through a glass. So <laughs> we ran the ball. It's all about personnel. I didn't know. It can work. Sam won a state championship that way. Yeah, I, I look at your Facebook a lot, and you posted something the other day about Texas high school football. Can you talk to the group about what you what you posted, what you read, and what that might mean for us? What I put all oh, about the um, Texas high school football. Yeah, um, trying to remember which one that was. One was about costs, and um, what was the Texas Spring. one about? Spring and cost. Spring and cost. Spring. Yeah, spring and cost. Exactly. That's right. Moving to spring. Um, and that's, that's something we've talked about here is whether we should uh, move to spring. And, you know, right now, I was, I don't want to say shocked. I think it was kind of last week we had this discussion about what was going to happen. And, and we all felt like uh, things were going to get delayed. And, then when I saw today that a lot of other systems beyond CMS uh, were just not going to go today at all, that just me got someone a big point that I don't think we're going to be able to play. So that was about flipping sports and putting uh, football into the springs and potentially being able to play it there. And as we've discussed before, there's lots of hurdles with that, but boy, we got the, a bunch of coaches here and, uh, what do you guys think about it? Uh, do you want to play in the spring? Um, and you know, can it be made to happen? Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, um, Joe. You I mean, I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. Scott and I talked the other day. All right. So he's got, he's got a quarterback in Drake May who is probably going to want to early enroll. And I got a tight end in Bryson Nesbitt who's probably going to have the chance to early enroll. So if you play in spring, what does that look like for those kids? Are you going to – is that, are those kids going to give up their senior their senior year so they can early enroll? Um, and then you work in with uh, – what are you going to do with baseball kids? Like my starting middle linebacker, Matthew Reddick, is a starting outfielder for South Lake baseball team. Um, are they going to play those at the same time? Are they going to flip seasons? Um, you know, you ask, you, you ask some people about flipping baseball to the fall – and their idea is they get, those kids could get two seasons taken away because the numbers could get so high in the fall they don't get to play baseball. So, you know, me being a multi-sport fan and of kids playing multiple sports and wanting to be a high school athlete and have a true experience, um, I mean, I think it's a reality. I think there's a lot of different factors that go into it that a lot of people will have to sit down and have some very tough conversations about, you know, what is it really going to look like in the spring and how can we physically make it happen? Are you going to play a non-conference or, you know, cancel all your non-conference games and you're going to play a conference schedule only? I mean, I think I think you can do it, but it's going to take a whole lot of work and a whole lot of time and a whole lot of common sense to figure it out. Coach Allison, tell me what you think about that. Um, You know, I think Coach Evans is right on the money. Um, you know, it's, to me – I want to play football and I think everybody on this call does want to play football. And, you know, there's a lot of schools across the state of North Carolina, Lake Norman high school being one of them that if we don't have a football season, it's going to be tough to financially support the rest of the athletic program. And that's mm -hmm. just the nature of the beast. 
Um, you know, and, and to coach Evan's point, um, I was a multi-sport athlete and I just, in my heart, can't see us flipping to spring, moving these baseball kids to fall. And then what if that happens? And now these kids have lost not one, but two seasons. I mean, that's just, that's not fair. And, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I just know that there's a lot of intelligent people involved and that, um, you know, all these coaches and athletic directors and, and parents should have a say. Um, you know, I think everybody wants to play football. I'll play tomorrow. I'll play in the fall, the spring. I, I, don't, I don't care. Um, you know, I just want to try to give these kids uh, some semblance of a senior year. You know, you get one. I can tell you every score um, of mine. I can remember standing on that field the last time I played the game. Um, I'll never forget those memories. And, and to, for these kids not to have those is, is a shame. Um, so I think there's got to be some way um, to do this. Now, there might be some issues, like Coach said, and some kids and some coaches are going to have decisions to make, um, whether to go early and roll, whether to play baseball instead of football. You know, we have a lot of kids that play lacrosse at Lake Norman. Um, you know, but if I lose one or two kids and the other 50 get a chance to play, then it is what it is. Um, um, I just – I hope it I hope it comes because a lot of these kids need need football and need baseball and need cheer or whatever. Um They've been in these houses for months, man. And just to see our kids' faces, and we've just been conditioning. Um, you know, I, I I know that it's been good for them the last three weeks. Yeah, Coach Chavik, same question. Your guy Drake May told myself and Dale Ross, no matter what, he's playing his senior season. If it's in April, if it's in August. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons why I don't think we can center things around whether or not you know, one or two kids have to make a choice because that's really only a couple of kids that, that affects. But the switching of seasons and potentially, you know, taking a second season away from spring sport kids, that affects hundreds of kids. And I think to me, that would be the biggest reason why I think it would be tough to switch seasons. Um, you know, at this point, quite honestly, I just think at some point we just got to go go with it and you know people have to make a choice either you play or you don't play you know right now that's going on in you know major league baseball they're playing and guys are making the decision whether or not to play and i think maybe at some point we get to that point where we're, we're going to play we're going to go and if parents choose to keep their kids out that's that's their choice and you know i just think at some point you know we've got to just make decisions and go with it and you know to that point I think that's one of the things that's been a little frustrating for me too, is that when decisions are being made, um, you know, I'd like to make sure that coaches, you know, are involved in that decision-making process. And, you know, you can take that to the educational piece as well. You know, we're talking about what we're going to do for schools. And I know a lot of teachers are upset. They don't feel, you know, feel like the teachers have a place at that table and making that decision either. I think that's a very valid point. Grace, you've been the, the voice of fall ball all along. Um, just want to give you a chance to get in here as well. I mean, uh, yeah. you're hearing, you know, I just want to play, but maybe it's time just to say we're going to play and it's going to be up to the parents to decide if they want to play, it, which was kind of what the basketball guys were just saying. You know, it's a choice that parents and players have to make. But your thoughts? 
No, I agree. And I mean, I think that, you know, I know personally with our group, I was even surprised at the number of parents. And I say surprised, I mean, you know, considering everything that's going on, that a number of parents were just wanting to get back to some semblance of normalcy. And I think, you know, Coach Elephant hit on it with parents and kids wanting to get out there and see their, you know, to see their friends in a socially distanced manner, compliance with all of the phase one guidelines. But to just be out there on the field is something that I think is is needed for a lot of these kids. The one big thing I think I struggle with with the NCHSAA with this is it's, you know, I'm just not a reactionary guy. I mean, I think in, in a certain, you know, in this circumstance, there should be some things that are done or at least that are given to us as, as a semblance to get ready. I mean, should we, and I talked about this with, with my plan, I mean, should we have a comprehensive testing program? Should we be encouraging guys to go do that? I thought part of a champion was a great chance to now turn and convert this in this year to say, hey, let's get our kids COVID tested to see how bad is this really? Because I think that's the, the uncertainty piece is the part that, I really struggle with, you know, I went ahead to get tested just to make sure I'm not putting you know, myself in a situation or exposing anybody else. And I think that level of responsibility should be on the state to at least, you know, get kids, coaches, you know, athletes ready to go. Yeah. Um, the test in Wickenburg County, I think down now figures will be about a thousand tests per week. That's going to be a lot of tests. I think if you test that many people, you're going to have, you know, 10, 10, 15 percent of them come up positive. Then what do you do when that happens? Chris, you see, I talk to more coaches around the state than anybody I know. What is kind of the 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 mood around the state? Is it more like what what Coach Chadwick is talking about? Let's just make a decision and play. Is it more or less wait until the spring and try to do it? Well, first and foremost, I saw that one shot of uh, Coach Christ right there, dude. I love the beard. I wish I could grow one quite as big. Uh, man, you you got some skills and uh, you got that going on. Uh, you're right. I, I have talked to some coaches, but before I get to the North Carolina coaches. I was spent the last week in Texas and Oklahoma, and just I did read that article that Dale had posted on on his social media uh, about the potential of Texas moving their ball to the spring. And, and so I called up a few coaches that I had worked with back in 2002, 2003, and they said that that's their only choice. He said that you know so many of the media and a lot of the coaches and the fans there are kind of like ostriches, and they kind of have their heads buried in the sand thinking that it won't happen. But he said there's no other option but for them to play in the spring. And, and I feel like the way the numbers are trending and just the way we're seeing things every day, I think that's going to be the same thing that we're stuck with here in North Carolina. Uh, I've spoken with some coaches, and I've got in front of me on my other computer screen right here a 31-week plan uh, that some of the Eastern North Carolina coaches, I believe, are going to try to submit a, as a proposal of how they think we could operate three different uh, seasonal sports in, in a 31-week um, end-of-the-year uh, session that would begin in late October. And I want to kind of look over right here. They think that you can begin the week, basically the week before Thanksgiving, November the 16th, you can start your winter practicing and, and into – and basically run the winter sports the same, minus wrestling. I don't think anyone knows that wrestling can go the way it could go, but I've seen some plans right here, and I'm looking at one right here that where they think that fall practice could begin February 1st, play a seven-game season beginning February 22nd with a four-week playoff, and then kind of in between that uh, playoff and into the season transition into spring practice and then run spring games all the way through. And I'm going to look at it, spring playoffs through June the 14th of next year. Uh, so at least I, I've talked to some coaches who are trying to be proactive and throw some ideas around about how they would at least play these sports. Uh, but at this point right here, whether it's the guys I talked to in Texas or, or you guys here, 
I'm just losing faith by the day and thinking that we can have any kind of fall sports this year. But at least like this one I'm looking at right here, some people are putting forth some kind of plan um, just to move forward. And, and also, before, and I know I'm being long-winded, but to address something that uh, Coach Griner, you had said earlier, I do concur with you 100% that some of these systems and in, in pushing back the, um, the ability to start uh, talk, uh, the, the workouts yesterday or today, uh, I think that they were hiding behind Governor Cooper's orders because I think so many systems knew they didn't want to go and they were waiting on on that there, uh, that, that message there from the governor uh, to push back the announcement. And, and I do feel like that that was a reason for a lot of these uh, school systems pushing to the right. Whoa, that's that's a big one. Anybody want to comment on that? <laughs> crickets, crickets. I love it. People being proactive about how to plan for a season. I think that's exactly what we're going to, have to do. Start with winter sports. I, I mean, I would love to play in the fall. You know, the boys mm -hmm. of the fall, the whole deal. You know, but it's not going to happen. I don't think. I mean, unless it's a vaccine. You know, we can all pray for a vaccine, and then. Then we can roll. Then then we can roll the dice, and then it might you know come out okay. But you know if there's a plan in place, it'll be a great thing to have it. Even if we're just playing football and other sports, you know it's just like you said, Coach O said it earlier. I mean, it is the breadwinner in the sports. You have to play football in order to pay for the other sports because I don't think the government's going to give more money to schools just because of what's going on today with COVID nineteen. So we got to play football somehow, some way. And I like the plan. Um, plus, if we got to compete with baseball, it might help my chances a little bit versus like the Joe Evans and stuff of the world. <laughs> I heard that Virginia plan about two weeks ago when they talked about doing kind of everything in the spring. I do kind of like that idea, even starting like Chris was saying in an October type of time frame. I think that could really work. But Gary, you heard something today about some Ivy League schools. I thought was interesting. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, Coach Oliver, he was saying about more intelligent people. One thing we have to realize, coaches and ADs are not going to make this decision. It's going to be made by superintendents and, and government officials. And two weeks ago, Morehouse College, they said, we can't afford all the testing necessary. We're just not going to play football this year. Well, today, Harvard came out and said that they're behind a program or um, a schedule of moving football to the spring. And on Wednesday, the Ivy League schools uh, are supposed to make an announcement. And I would think they wouldn't make an announcement unless they were gonna do it. So the Ivy League is looking to move football to the spring. And if you remember back in the spring, the Ivy League was the first to cancel conference basketball tournaments, men and women. And everybody say, oh, they're overreacting. And two or three late, two or three days later, uh, all the colleges cancel their their conference basketball tournaments. And um, what I heard today is, like coaches have aspirations of coaching uh, the ultimate school or the ultimate power conference or you know some traditional football power. What college presidents ultimately want is to be president of an Ivy League school. And so a lot of the decisions that the college presidents make and in the non-Power uh, Five conferences, as well as the Power Five conferences, is based on what the Ivy League does academically, because ultimately that's where they want to go in their career. 
And I, I want to ask you guys, what do you think will happen if the Ivy League postpones football to the spring? Uh, we know the uh, Oklahoma head coach, uh, I forgot his name, uh, he talked about playing in the spring. Uh, what do you think the college is going to do? Because the high schools usually follow what the colleges do. Yeah, I agree with you, Gary. I think the Ivy League schools, they got, they're got they on to something. I think that other colleges will follow. It seems like they're ahead of the curve. I guess that's why their SAT scores are so great. <laughs> um, but to be honest with you, as long as we play football somehow, some way, I will be extremely happy. I would hate for us to go right now in the fall. Something happens, there's a rise, and then we got teams dropping out not really having a season because, you know, uh, Western Myers Park's out because, you know, there's 12 people with the virus, and now they can't play. Their whole team shut down. Now they're in the playoffs. They can't play in the playoffs. You don't want something like that. So moving into the spring is, is definitely the way to go. I think the Ivy League um, schools are on to something, so, you know, maybe we need to look at their plan. Coach Alvin. Coach Alvin, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I 100% think that high school, I think high school is going to follow college uh, 100%. Um, you know, I just don't see how if, if they're not going to play footballs on Saturday and Sundays in the fall, how we can realistically sit here and say we're going to play high school football. Um, you know, that's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and, you know, I think they're ultimately going to drive this thing. Um, I definitely think the Ivy League's on to something. Um, you know, I think that a lot of other guys are going to follow suit um, because, like Coach Griner said, you know, none of us want to get into the boat. We're playing high school football in August and lose a quarterback or lose your starting center or whoever. Um, coaches, you know, what if one of us gets sick and now we've got to play a high school football game without your head coach? I mean, it's just – it's a lot to think about. Um, you know, I, I'm – I'm praying that these guys that are making the decisions and the ladies that are making these decisions are, you know, thinking about all of this because there's a lot to think about. And, you know, ultimately they're the ones that are going to have to decide what's best for everybody. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily agree that the colleges are going to all fall in line with the Ivy league does. Um, I mean, the Ivy league is kind of their own group when it comes to football as it is. They don't participate in the, you know, the FCS playoffs, um, you know, they have their own little thing going on there anyway. So I don't think what the Ivy League does, I don't think the SEC and the Big Ten are paying any attention to what the Ivy League does. Um, they're running their own show there. And, you know, as far as, you know, what impact that has at the high school level, I do think there is a little difference between, you know, what goes on in the NFL and college and high school. You know, I certainly think that, you know, it's going to be tough, obviously, to play high school football if there's no NFL or college. But, you know, there are some other aspects, you know, people talk about, you know, fans in the stands and things like that. Well, you know, the NFL and the major colleges still have TV contracts that they get money from if they play. Um, the high schools need fans in the stands because that's where their, you know, their income comes from. So I don't necessarily think, you know, that it's all going to line up the same. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Scott. Um, I think uh, if you if you look at it, you know, Ivy League colleges, their their money's not coming from football. You know that we all know that that's not where they're making their their bread. Now you look at your Power Five conferences, 
I mean, you're looking at Florida, you're looking at Oklahoma. I mean, you're looking at Clemson, you're looking at schools like that. Like, you know, their money is, their money's coming from football. And if you're trying to move all that to the spring and you're trying to take all this and make those and make those days in the spring, the same days they are on the fall, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Ivy League, the Ivy League might get together and have, you know, a condensed schedule where all the teams that are, decide to move them to the spring, they say, hey, we're all going to play a condensed schedule against each other, and that's their baby. That's fine. Um, I do not think that you're going to get the Power 5 schools to move to the spring. Um, I do think that a lot of us, um, a lot of our stuff is going to is gonna piggyback off of the NFL kind of trickle down to the major college and trickle down to us. But on the other side of that, it's very easy to um, to isolate college football players. It's very easy to tell those guys. I watched the video today of all the incoming freshmen at Appalachian State moving into their dorm on campus. It's easy to isolate those guys because you can tell them, hey, you're doing a virtual class. Go sit in your dorm room and do your virtual class. And then when you come to workouts, you come in this door and go out that door and make sure you wear your mask. I mean, I think that, you know, that's going to that's gonna happen in some places. But I don't think your major college football programs are going to play in the spring. I think they're going to be in the fall. All right. Well, coaching, I appreciate you guys getting on with this. Uh, we're kind of running a little heavy, so I'll let you guys go. But we definitely want to get you guys back. Hopefully during the season, the uh, the conversation in the back room, I wish everybody could have seen that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're good. We're good. <laughs> And, uh, Coach, I appreciate you, man. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get out to Iredale County. See you guys. Yeah, I promise. <laughs> I'm refereeing that basketball game, Sam. I'm Coach Alvin. You hear me? I was saying, yeah. I was saying Coach Alvin. Appreciate you. Can you hear me? Chris, man. All right. Put, uh, yeah, man. Gotta say goodbye, my man Scott Chadwick at Mars Park. We'll catch you during this year. How about it? Thanks for having me, Chad. And Joe, and Joe Evans, the Incredible Hulk, we'll catch you during the season as well. <laughs> I'll see y'all. See y'all. Right. Fellas, I'm going to tell you what, we got some really good guys that coach football in this area. I mean, we're really blessed. Um, you know, I, I've known some of these guys for a long time, and even some of the guys I'm just getting to know, like Grace, are tremendous individuals. Um, Sam and I put together a relationship last couple. I've known Gary. We went to college together. I've known Gary forever, but um, and Chris and Dale I've known for a long time, but just an amazing um, group of coaches we have. I'm hearing Coach Grice for playing football in the spring. I know that ain't your druthers, but it sounds like that's what's about to happen. What? What? Give me your takeaway. First, let's start with what, what did you learn anything from from Joe Jurgensen? Did, did she put any thoughts in your mind? Did you learn anything? I did. Did you learn anything? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, you know, anytime, especially you know, kind of my coaching background and everything, I'm not as exactly a traditionalist as it pertains yeah. to how I arrived in my position. So I'm always intrigued to hear someone that isn't kind of you know the mainstream or doesn't do things necessarily or isn't a conventional person. So you know, I really enjoyed that piece of it. Um, when we get to the football aspect, you know, of course, I understand that you know that that piece is going to be necessary, but I do think that we have a responsibility as football coaches, and especially like to hear Coach Joe Evans talk about being a multi-sport athlete or a supporter of multi-sport athletics. We're at a point where we really are in danger of alienating um, a group of sports that I think are very important to a lot of the kids that we coach. Um, I think you know one kid I have on my team right now who you know you talk about a, a sport that he loves and covets and dreams of playing in baseball. Well, you know, the kid you know, played his freshman year, 
towards ACL, you know, missed a sophomore year, came back for a junior year to be cut by COVID. And now we're talking about endangering his senior year. And this is a sport that he loves. So, you know, when I think about these things and having these conversations, I have, you know, I, I speak from a microeconomic perspective where I'm thinking of one specific kid and understanding this is a spring sport guy. I support his multi-sport, you know, desire and athletic and, you know, and dreams, but I don't want to cut out one of the sports that's critical to him. So we definitely have I'm glad you said that because there's some people I've been reading that, that think that you guys are always on to the spring sports. But, Gary, the plan that I like and I keep saying is that you start in October, November, whenever you start, but you get all the seasons in, even if it's in the spring. Hopefully we have a vaccine. Do you think that could work, Gary, to start basketball in in November, October, whenever it is, and then play shortened season let everybody play? Because I don't want to end spring sports. I mean, they, they should not lose two seasons. That should not happen. Well, that's my biggest thing is not when they start, but that spring sports go first. And and I say that for two reasons. One, um, they missed last season. Mm-hmm. And then two, most of the spring sports are non-contact. So yeah. if this virus is still going on, they're least likely to spread it in a non-contact environment than they would be in a contact environment. And And hopefully later in the year, we, we get a treatment or, or a vaccine would even be better. But, I you know, I think the spring sport athletes deserve the chance to go first. But, Dale, doesn't that make more sense then to play the spring sports now? Because we, we, we kind of know where we are right now. We don't know where we're going to be. Yeah, I think the thing everybody's missed here is that by moving baseball to now, it's going to have the best opportunity to play. October, right. November, December, we're going to be bad. Uh, yeah. I don't I just don't see that happening. I think, you know, what we talked about before, I, I would like to see individual sports go because mm-hmm. they can go. There's very low risk of spreading things. And maybe we can learn something from them. In baseball, as we've discussed, I think there's less chance of spreading there. So go ahead and let those kids play. Sure. Uh, it's not if it moves to the spring and then it gets canceled. I mean, it get moves to the fall and it gets canceled. You know, guys, if you look at the, the tradition of the flu and the flu picks up as we get cold, and of course it goes away as we get warm, but we're going to have complications of both flu and COVID together. And, you know, I, I just think it's going to be hard to have sports in the spring. And I'm I just like Gary said, you know, whenever we go and they decide to go, I think mm-hmm. the spring sports should go first because they're the ones that got cut last year. Uh, Sam, I see- I saw, Sam, I saw a 75-year-old coach there at Weddington. And I asked the guys, was he nervous about coaching? They said, no, they, you'd have to pull him off the field. Do you run into coaches or do you have parents that are a little nervous? Or are you nervous yourself about coaching and teaching in the COVID environment? Uh, personally, being vegan, no, because we are immune to the virus. Like I've told you Sam, guys. Sam, I'm just telling you, man. I love you. I love you. You're my boy. You're my brother. But no. I'm being honest with you guys. Listen. Listen. Just stop eating. Yeah. won't be okay. Um. So no, I agree, you know, it's difficult to say. It really is. I just think that going back, thinking about everything what we're talking about, I think Gary's right. Spring sports need to go first. 
If they can go right now, go. If they can't go, then we have to come up with another plan where winter sports might be able to go first if it slows down. But like Dale said, it could rise up with the flu cases as well when you start getting into the colder months. Um, so it's very difficult. We just need to start figuring out a plan what to do. Um, I agree. I've always said non-contact sports go right now. That would be perfect. Then we have winter sports. Then we can have contact sports in the spring. But that's a perfect world right now, and I don't I don't know if it's perfect right now for that. Yeah, well, I'm hoping we get the, the vaccine that Dr. Fauci keeps talking about. I had too much time on my hands, Chris, one day last week, and I sat down, I thought about it, and I said, let's put baseball and the individual sports in the fall, and if they can't go, let's move them to the backside of the spring and kind of go to the plan you talked about where we have a condensed season. Give you the final word for the night, just your your thoughts, you're Q-Tucker, you're the guru. When do we need a plan? What would your plan be? I would try to implement playing baseball first and not only baseball, but track and field, tennis, uh, some of the most non-contact, non-group sports you could possibly get, get them out of the way, give them athletes an opportunity to compete. Um, and, and then start playing it by ear. Maybe it's not winter sports play at a certain time and then spring sports and then fall sports in that order. Maybe it's a hybrid. Maybe you pick and choose the sports that best fit that time whether the numbers, the spiking, the the curve, the the vaccine or whatever, and just put them all together and allow them to play. Maybe maybe you play soccer in a Christmas time. I don't know, but, but try to put those best sports together when it's the safest for those sports to play. Uh, and obviously, whenever it's safe to play football, we'll get them on the field, give those student athletes and those coaches a chance to shine and, and do what they can. I mean, I understand the, the the financial aspect to it. You know, you want those guys to – the football teams to get on the field. You want those basketball teams to fill up the gymnasiums because let, let's be realistic. Sports is still a financial engine that not only supports other sports in that school, but, you know, maybe even academic programs and other programs in the school. Uh, so so you want those to operate at least as, as well as they can. Uh, but I, I don't think you, you – you need to be, you know, square peg round hole person right now. Uh, be flexible and, and try to put the sports together at the most realistic time that you can, given the numbers, uh, and then kind of go from there. And then hopefully, you know, if the numbers go down, if the spikes go down, you can get everybody in. But if not, you know, unfortunately, you know, it is what it is, and you just have to adjust and adapt and move forward. Uh, but that would probably be my goal. And then, Sam, the basketball, uh, whenever you're ready, you let me know. Yeah. We'll go live with that. You know, I just, like I said, you got to sign a waiver and then I'll do it. You know, just because I've learned a lot about waivers uh, recently. Um, I just, want, just want to thank thank Joe for joining the show earlier. Um, I think I learned a lot from her in the aspect of she likes to empower everybody. She thinks everybody has great ideas. Why not empower people? And I think that that's a lot of big part of her plan. Even though she ignored my question about sports a little bit, she just like I let them figure it out. Uh, it was pretty good stuff to hear her talk about her opinions. Um, but I really appreciate all the coaches coming on. I mean, this is a fantastic thing we do. I just enjoy talking with everybody, and uh, we have a lot of fun. I wish we could show the private chat a little bit. Um, everybody's challenging me. Uh, it's okay. Um, we, even talked, we even talked a little bit about, uh, you know, heroes you remember, but legends never die. Um, <laughs> it's legit, though. And everybody needs to go watch that movie, Sandlot, if you haven't. <laughs>
All right, guys. Look, thanks for coming on. It's been a great show. It's been our longest show ever, but I think it's been one of our best shows ever. We'll be back next Monday with uh, another special show. Coach Grinder, you do to give me a guest now. I've been I've been carrying you the last couple of weeks. You got to get some. There's a certain coach that we really need to get, but we're going to leave that alone. All right. <laughs> thanks a lot. We'll catch you next time on Talking Preps. All right. <laughs>